Hey, this is Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. This particular webinar that we recorded earlier this year is with Chase Hubbard, who is with the Jacobson. And the Jacobson folks are really insightful into the markets of where hemp products uh, will be uh, integrated and who wants to buy them and everything from industrial uses of all these different uses that we know of, of the industrial uses of hemp, uh, as well as uh, the grain uh, or fiber side of all of that, all incorporated. So my uh, fellow founding member, Roger Ford, interviews Chase to get some industry insights as to, hey, where's the market going for this? Who's going to purchase this stuff? And, and Chase does a really good job of sharing that information. This is yet another one of those episodes that you may want to go back to our website and actually watch the video we recorded on because he's got all kinds of charts and graphs and gives us some idea about what trends are. So uh, if you're looking at selling your product somewhere, uh, Chase can give you some insight into what that might very well be buyers out there ready for it. Good afternoon, everyone. This is our weekly Wednesday webinar uh, with the National Hemp Cooperative. We have with us today Chase Hubbard. It's with the Jacobson uh, Fast Markets uh, Hemp Bulletin. Uh, Jacobson does a lot of things, but they have published a daily bulletin uh, about commodity prices uh, in regards to hemp and hemp-related products. Uh, Chase, thanks for being with us today. You betcha. Glad to be here. I will say as we're as we're pulling that up that we if you have questions feel free to pop those in in the chat box down there and when those will come up and we'll we'll cover those as as we as we move along in the presentation. So Chase, I think you're ready. Your slides are up. So the Jacobson is a 150 year old price reporting agency. Um, we were purchased by Fast Markets just in February, which is a UK based company, one of the big price reporting agencies in agriculture. Um, we, uh, we produce a daily bulletin, hemp bulletin, covering a range of ag commodities, but uh, started covering hemp back in July of 2019. So it involves uh, pricing and commentary um, for all three segments. Um, just an example, uh, just checking, can you hear me there, Roger? Yes. Okay, thank you for confirming my video gone. Um, so we produce a daily bulletin covering all, all three segments, meaning uh, cannabinoids, fiber, and hemp seed. Um, you know, the markets are really immature and, and, and highly siloed um, and extremely opaque. And that's sort of our business is to sort of bring transparency to markets. But, uh, you know, farmers are the ones that have the most interest in transparency. Uh, traders or, are, are, um, you know, anyone past the farm gate uh, really benefits from uh, opaque markets. Um, so that uh, that's our goal, and we certainly like to partner with uh, farmers for, for reporting, but uh, we get our data from, from all counterparties as much as possible, um, producers, processors, um, traders. Um, so to date, cannabinoids have led the markets. Um, you know, fiber and hemp seed are coming along. Hemp seed is a fairly established market, uh, mostly in Canada, but, but also in the Northern Plains and other parts of the U.S., um, but cannabinoids have led to date, and you guys all know the news on that and the pricing collapse and, um, you know, this the fallout from that. Um, you know, what we do in our, in our, uh, with the Jacobson is supply and demand based reporting. Um, this is uh, just a look at snapshot at 2020 acreage. Um, uh, you know, CBD hemp, um, just showing there in green, just under 100,000 acres is the majority. 
um, of the crop. You know, of course, much more was licensed, but uh, generally half or less of what's licensed is planted, and then much less of that is also uh, harvested, depending on the location, depending on the situation. Places like Southern Oregon that have extensive plantings back in 20, uh, 2019 left enormous amounts of uh, hemp in the field uh, post-harvest without the ability to, uh, to get it in, without the ability to market it. Um, uh, so um, hemp and CB, uh, CBD biomass, uh, not a lot of transactions in there, a lot of tolling contract uh, extraction, and um, also uh, programs that are um, uh, seed sell. So uh, a company provides seed and also provides an offtake uh, agreement for the product that they use in their extraction program or, or even retail business. Um, Right now, flour is the uh, is the real target market for small farmers. In particular, that market has been uh, really reliable. In general, across the board, with hemp commodities, a lack of standards and specifications uh, really inhibit the market. Um, biomass, uh, you know, there's, you know, we've certainly dialed in those standards more. And on our website, there, there's, uh, you know, specific standards and specs for each product. Um, but, uh, you know, there still isn't consensus around all of biomass, except for that, you know, 8% is probably average, moisture under 13%. Uh, you know, these kinds of basic things form matter. Um, other than that, when it gets into uh, minor cannabinoids, terpenes, et cetera, yeah, there, is no, uh, there is no model for pricing that uh, by any standard. Um, it's the same for extracts. Extracts also lack standards and, and are highly complex. A good example of this is... Um, broad spectrum extract or what's called tea-free extract. Um, this extract is generally gonna have some amount of detectable THC. It really depends um, from lab to lab, um, but the discrepancies can be really significant. And um, where it's really key is in exports to Europe where, uh, for instance, exports to Europe where um, any amount of detectable THC could be a, um, a huge problem uh, for producers. Labs, Discrepancy with labs are an issue throughout the, the entire cannabinoid segment. And seed remains a, a major issue. And that's also for all three segments. Uh, hemp seed has, has done pretty well and um, more mature market and developing, um, uh, you know, good hemp seed adapted to certain latitudes. But as we, uh, you know, bring hemp into, into lower latitudes here, uh, you know, we're going to encounter far more um, hot hemp and, and uh, there's more work to be done there by plant breeders. Um, the other uh, aspect of, of uh, what we do is, is through producer surveys. Um, this is an example of the kind of speculation that we saw. Now, this is for 2020, and you can see that the majority of producers did not have any kind of marketing contract in place. Um, and also, you know, from a supply and demand perspective, um, when we polled uh, producers, what kind of uh, extracts they had in inventory? Um, it's pretty significant. Um, now, this doesn't this doesn't hold a candle to what um, some major extractors have, which is uh, tens of thousands of kilos of, of various uh, of various derivatives. Isolate has been the most active market, um, really, aside from flour. Um, and what's driven that isolate market is Delta-8 THC. Um, Delta-8 THC is a, is a really gray area. It's highly controversial in, in, um, in the hemp industry. It saved a bunch of farms, small farmers that were able to market uh, Delta-8 THC. Um, 
But, uh, you know, law enforcement and lawmakers are, are um, increasingly learning about this. And, and so, you know, we'll see a lot of pushback on, on Delta 8 THC probably over the next year. And, you know, I think the industry is really concerned, um, particularly those that um, are in the fiber and hemp seed segment that um, are governed in the same way that cannabinoid producers are, um, that they're, you know, the, the, that the industry is producing this intoxicant. Um, uh, and um, so that's gonna be a real issue that, that still hasn't been solved um, in the industry, but it has been very attractive uh, to small producers that, uh, that can do that. Some extractors have, have uh, you know, um, some that report to me earlier were saying, you know, the isolate uh, volume is picked up and they really weren't sure what it was. And then eventually they discovered what it was for. And, and uh, some did not want to do that and sell, um, you know, for reasons of liability. But uh, uh, as far as isolate demand or um, CBD demand, retail demand, this is Nielsen data, which is not a full picture of the market. Um, you know, Nielsen is capturing just a portion of the market, you know, not all the golf pro shops and the um, uh, yoga studios and, uh, and online sales. Um, but it does show a trend. And certainly that trend has been uh, mostly upward, but it's also, um, it's also leveled off some. Again, I don't think this is a, is a great example of the uh, overall market, um, particularly when you factor in some of these markets like Europe that are, uh, that are coming online after policy changes there. Uh, so pretty good runway there um, left. Um, beverages especially are expected to increase the, the demand for, um, for CBD isolate or nanoemulsified. Now, as far as markets showing uh, the most demand, um, hemp flour has been um, has been extremely strong over the past couple of years. Um, this shows you that there really isn't a big price differential between uh, certified organic and conventionally grown flour. Uh, really, the the uh, primary quality characteristics are what drive those purchases. Um, you know, terpenes and and also um, certificates of analysis with. Uh, um, you know, cannabinoid profiles, but those also are secondary to, to the general um, uh, uh, quality traits that are they're associated with flour. Um, but the demand, as far as uh, theoretical demand in hemp flour, this is just a, a snapshot at year-over-year um, -year marijuana sales in, in Colorado. And, um, you know, um, I think this is 600, this represents 600,000 pounds in, in 2020. And so that's the volume of flour transacted in Colorado in 2020. Um, you know, with flour, hemp flour being sold on, you know, a variety number of, of platforms, e-commerce and, and brick and mortar stores, and just much more widely distributed than, than uh, marijuana. Um, you know, we think that that demand could be um, several million pounds in excess of several million pounds annually. Um, but again, small farmers, major opportunity for small farmers here. They can realize uh, tens of thousands of dollars per acre. Um, not everybody can do this and not every climate can do it. Um, certainly Southern Oregon, California, and um, Colorado and dry climates, they have an advantage. Um, but now indoor and uh, greenhouse production is really starting to pick up in other areas. And based on the numbers and the demand, it looks like that that could be um, could be a viable model, even with uh, added energy costs and and uh, labor. So just moving on to uh, hemp seed markets. Um, 
hemp seed markets are, are really tied to feeds approval. Uh, the Hemp Feeds Coalition is a good resource for that. I intended to uh, put a slide up for them, but Hemp Feeds Coalition, if you're interested in that, I would uh, get in touch with them. And certainly if you're interested in supporting um, them, they, they would definitely uh, benefit from that. They're in the process of getting feeds approval for a variety of species. Uh, poultry is up first, um, but this is so significant for that segment. Um, when the FDA approves hemp seed meal and livestock feeds, um, the demand for this product is, is going to increase uh, dramatically, and that's also going to increase the profit profitability for these crushers. Uh, there are several crushers uh, around uh, the country in Kentucky, Montana, Colorado, uh, and North Dakota. Um, and um, uh, contracting with, with local producers and Manitoba Harvest Canadian Company is also contracting some across the border here. Um, this gives you an idea um, of, of the sort of uh, tailing off of imports of hemp seed from, from Canada to the US. Um, recently in, in, um, in the hemp press, there was a, um, you know, some, some data and charting that showed sustained and increased um, exports or imports into the US over the past year and post uh, well, post farm bill 2018 and the challenge there is that um, uh, for instance if you look at this slide this is this is for hemp seed meal and um, you know it shows over a million kilograms of of uh, hemp seed meal imported into the um, uh, or export out of the U.S. in 2015. Well, this just isn't practical and you know we've done some research into this and um, and really it's a it's an aggregate um, I'm gonna leave it there because it won't go back on me. It's an aggregate uh, it's an aggregate HS code that includes other oil uh, oil seeds. So um, just to say that that tracking imports is very challenging um, and exports. So we don't have a really good um, a really good, uh, picture on on those numbers to, to fill out our supply and demand, but certainly that's a part of our balance sheets and our forecasting. Um, and this gives you sort of an idea of the uh, uh, hemp seed production that we're seeing in terms of acreage over 20,000 acres, as we saw on that first first pie chart. And um, we expect that volume, the acreage and volume, to increase moderately over the next several years. And with the uh, with the uh, feed approvals, that could accelerate. A great deal, and we could see that acreage um, exceed thirty thousand acres within within that time period. Um, also, seeing some increased demand from food products, but uh, but that market really isn't as brisk as the uh, as livestock feeds um, uh, you know promised to be. But increased uses of oil, um, you know, for companies like Dr. Bronner's or other cosmetics. Uh, increased demand there, and the ability to capitalize on the entire hemp seed complex, which would include the hemp seed meal, um, which is now a waste product. There's, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of tons that uh, that don't have a home. Uh, but again, if you look at imports and exports, it shows a lot of that material moving around. But um, you know, we believe it's an aggregate of other hemp seed or other oil seeds. Um, Canada leads the uh, certainly leads the exports globally in terms of um, um, in terms of hemp seed um, fiber. So fiber is a product. It, it didn't fiber didn't disappear from um, you know from markets 
as a result of uh, performance issues or any market-driven issue. It was entirely related to policy and uh, cannabis policy that came up in THC. So there are absolutely many uses for hemp fiber as a generic feedstock for any carbon products, for biocomposites, um, and uh, uh, absorbents, and uh, even fuel in a couple of different um, uh, you know, drive for, in a couple of different ways. So there's a lot of discussion right now going on about, um, about fiber and a lot of plans. Uh, primary processing is picking up across the country this year in Kansas, um, Virginia, um, and Montana, as IND starts to decorticate hemp there. Um, and we're starting to see some secondary processing come online. Renaissance uh, Fiber in North Carolina has de developed a wet process uh, for degumming, post-decortication. And uh, Hem Mills, who's been active uh, doing some, some knitting work with imported European hemp fiber, is um, looking to fill that gap too and do some, um, do some spinning of yarn. That's one of the areas. It's a major need. So, you know, I think the, the stakeholders and the industry observers have always thought that non-wovens were going to be one of the first moves. So it's interesting to see uh, this textile initiative, um, you know, um, make so much progress. Um, but uh, it'll take some time for that to uh, for that to come to fruition. You know, transportation is going to be a major issue in hemp fiber, um, and access to rail and um, barge. You know, it's going to create a major strategic advantage. Uh, Minnesota ships uh, half of their uh, agricultural produce via the Mississippi River. Um, Co-ops absolutely going to be an essential part of hemp fiber. Um, it's going to create a major strategic advantage in terms of storage and marketing. Uh, a well-run co-op is going to be um, an ex uh, extraordinary advantage for producers. Um, so I think that uh, listeners here and members of this co-op, uh, you know, have a lot to be excited about. Um, you know, Europe has been major fiber producer historically. And, um, you know, even right now, Canadian company, Bass Fiber Technologies, uh, you know, partnered with uh, Georgia Pacific in producing hemp-based wipes. And that production is slated to occur in, in Europe, which makes perfect sense. Expertise and infrastructure already there. And as they develop a model, they intend to move that to North America um, eventually. Um, policy issues. Policy issues by far have the most outsized impacts in hemp. Um, you know, cannabinoids and, and cannabinoid profiles and THC in particular really drives everything. So, you know, something that hemp fiber and MC just doesn't have to worry about that. But unfortunately, that's not true. Um, you know, the FTC with our Operation CBD Deceit uh, last year, you know, started levying tens of thousand dollar fines to companies. So they started to add some teeth to their policy, which is really unclear. Um, we do know the FDA policy, they have been clear about making health claims, but, uh, um, you know, the, the guidance that the FDA submitted to the White House budget last July, um, uh, you know, is basically sent back to revisit after the new Biden-Harris administration. Um, New York and California, um, those are states, you know, one of the top three, two of the top three economies in the country, and their policies, you know, could have a major impact. California with uh, banning hemp flour and, and New York as well. Um, and again, that uh, that's competing interest there with the, the cannabis industry um, and hemp producers and cross-pollination is one of the major issues there as well. 
Um, you know, that, that's a multi-billion dollar industry in California now, and not any multi-billion dollar industry develops a great deal of momentum. And so politically, there's going to be some uh, competing interest there. And in California, you know, it's even towns and cities that have, uh, um, you know, instituted moratoriums. Uh, so lots to do there in policy, but, um, you know, those diverging interests, big uh, CPG brands and um, smaller producers, definitely uh, we're going to see more of that um, over the years. Lots of research needed and innovation. Um, you know, this is one example of the Midwest um, hemp database is, you know, the technology that we have today is going to really help launch the hemp industry and, and improve uh, production practices over time. Um, so uh, Midwest database, I'd look at that, particularly if you're in that area. Um, but um, in general, a lot of research left to do and a great deal of leadership too, um, which is something that we're seeing with this co-op. So uh, these kind of initiatives are really going to create opportunities for farmers. Now, some of the major opportunities is just as a wrap up here uh, in the hemp industry um, is a renewed interest on climate change, and that's going to create um, all kinds of funding opportunities for producers, also for cooperatives, for uh, institutions, um, you know, companies that have the ability to effectively lead product projects and have shown that and have well thought out projects and uh, proposals, I think, um, are very likely to see funding. Um, you know, some of this funding is fairly significant, up to $10 million, I think, with the uh, um, uh, food and agriculture, with USDA. Um, so a lot of opportunity there. You know, uh, decarbonization is going to be a big topic in agriculture over the coming years. Um, you know, the Biden administration is really looking to leverage agriculture in that process and, and the USDA. And uh, Vilsack has been in that position before. He knows how to move the levers of government. And uh, they could have access to tens of billions of dollars in the CCC to, to get these projects off the ground. Um, you know, I think that life cycle analysis is key uh, for various applications. There's some out there, but uh, when I hear principals contact me about a, a process that they have, you know, I encourage them to, um, uh, to pursue a life cycle analysis simply because um, that's an exceptional sales tool moving into this, uh, um, you know, new climate change, land, climate change landscape. So, um, you know, having that, um, you know, creates a, um, a real opportunity for, for operator to, to get some funding. You were mentioning the livestock uh, being chased. The uh, USDA announced a $300,000 grant this morning to Oregon State University. Uh, and I think that's interesting. I know here in Kentucky, we, uh, we fed some cattle, uh, hemp, probably 25 years ago. Uh, and uh, they seemed to love it uh, as, a, as a, you know, kind of blended it with corn. So I think there's some great potential there for that and hopeful for that certification because that could really move the needle, I think, in several ways. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we're really looking at right now is commodity pricing, too. Um, commodity prices have really, really um, increased. Um, and, um, you know, so that's going to affect farmers' planting uh, choices, but also in terms of protein sources, too. Uh, soybean meal in particular, and also other ones will track with it, cottonseed meal and even sunflower meal, those things will all increase in value. So if hemp seed is competitive, then there's no doubt that livestock producers will embrace that if they can get it, if that's reliable and the supply is there. You know, even at a small percentage, you know, if they added 5%, 
um, over that uh, in volume aggregate that would uh, increase demand a great deal. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question here from, uh, let me see, from Michael. Michael Michael is asking a question about the the turf war uh, between marijuana and industrial hemp in places like California. I'm, I'm thinking of Humboldt County. He mentions Humboldt there just recently passing a resolution not allowing the growing of hemp in the county there. Do you think that's going to be resolved soon, or is that going to be something that's going to kind of impact long-term growth? across the country? Well, you know, I think it is going to have a short-term impact. Um, you know, long-term, I think that uh, the industry is going to have to do a little better in terms of just shutting out hemp. And the cross-pollination issue is, is really major. That's got to get solved. Um, and, you know, one of the things as we see consolidation, you know, the carrot industry doesn't have this problem up in Oregon uh, simply because they're highly consolidated and they can manage their, their plant breeding in different regions and breed one line over here in Bend and the other line, you know, elsewhere so that you don't have that. So um, with just a bunch of small producers and no way to coordinate that, that's going to be really challenging, but we are seeing more research. I think if some communities set up a program, um, you know, I know that there's uh, first come first serve programs where, you know, the first producer there and another one can't come with it if they're with this. So there's a lot of different approaches to this, but, um, you know, different, different areas are trying it. And I think if someone comes up with something that works then it's going to be reproduced, but, um, that industry in California, the cannabis industry is billions of dollars. I don't see, um, you know, that lobby, um, letting up on, on the, the, the threat of cross pollination anytime soon. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly at the county level here, too, you know, they've got uh, it's interesting to see these county and, and municipality um, politics happen. Um, and, you know, I think that's interesting within California, too. But uh, I don't think many producers envy the, you know, the policy landscape in California. But um, in agriculture, we always see them as a bellwether for what we'll see eventually in other parts of the country. OK, yeah. So in terms of. Uh, futures forecasting how 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 far off is a more refined uh, methodology of being able to kind of nail some of these prices uh, to a firmer firmer prediction well you know typically the industry um, consolidates around specifications so you know for us as a price reporting agency we're um, you know, we can't, we sort of can't lead that discussion, but we can certainly participate in it and make sure that we're, um, you know, that we're right there with, with any changes. Um, you know, it's very quick moving, but when you look at specifications, say for hemp fiber, you know, we don't even really have the specs for end uses yet. Um, plant readers, plant breeders don't even really have um, a goal that they're breeding to right now. So the answer to that question, I think, is several years. Um, but there are products like hemp seed, I think, that uh, could produce more near-term opportunity. Um, even something like CBD isolate, you know, that uh, is, is much easier to, um, to define. Um, but, uh, you know, some of these products, I think, were well out there. Uh, one of the things that we've done um, with, uh, with commodities that don't have an existing paper market, a futures market, is to work with a company called Stable Price. And, um, you know, they, they offer hedging opportunities in industries. And, um, you know, I think that, that uh, in discussions, they, they'd have some appetite for that with hemp. But, again, that's, that's a little way down the horizon. Uh, a couple okay. years at best, Roger. Okay. 
All right. You, you touched on the climate change and uh, something I've, I'm kind of reading myself into is the uh, potential for sequestration uh, on agricultural land and on farmland. Uh, how, how, how in depth, how, how far are you all into maybe looking, looking at, you know, obviously there's ways of measuring tonnage and kind of pricing, pricing that carbon uh, per ton uh, for the farmers. Have you all explored that as kind of a, a model for yourself? Well, in terms of pricing uh, carbon credits, we do have we do have some interest in in tracking those markets over time. You know, our our company is based in in the UK, and European markets have very uh, active carbon trading and futures markets for carbon trading. So, um, so this is a major opportunity for hemp. It's why I recommend life cycle analysis for anyone that uh, you know has an interest in uh, you know funding a project or, or you know starting a business. Uh, but having a good picture of what that is could be a massive sales tool. We know that the Biden administration is looking to put a lot of money into this, and they're looking to agriculture, um, you know, to do some of this work. Forestry and agriculture, I think the number is 10 to 15 percent, you know, the potential to, to sequester carbon. Um, and so that's a big deal. Um, you know, energy companies are already uh, involved in that and do some offsets um, in various areas. But uh you know, that's going to be really appealing to companies. You know, they companies have sort of set aside their climate change stuff, you know, through the last four years. But they I don't think any of them assumed that it wasn't going to be coming at them eventually. Microsoft just bought, I think, 100,000 um, uh, metric tons from Land O'Lakes Cooperative. Um, so that was a recent transaction, a couple small companies out there doing stuff, but really what's going to be interesting is if the USDA gets into this and they start, um, you know, leveraging some of those dollars in CCC, which is up to $30 million that has to, yeah. you know, get congressional funding, but that's a lot of money to get that done. One with the research, like you said, determining how much is actually happening. You know, we've got some new technology, deep sea that, um, you know, does some more efficient soil testing. A lot of it's been done on modeling to date. Um, so that has been a big issue to quantify the actual amount that uh, is being sequestered. Yeah. Uh, another question here from Michael. The, as the industry matures and expands, how do you see impacts on other agricultural commodities? Say, for example, like with the hemp seed being used on larger scale, how do you think that will impact the soy and corn sectors? You know, um, broad scale, national markets, global, I, I, don't, I think we're a long way from, from them eating into those markets. Um, in some areas, certainly, the uh, demographics of production, I think, you know, you certainly see in a shift to, to hemp commodities um, away from other things. You know, tobacco might be an example of that, but, you know, tobacco had <laughs> faded long ago. Um, so, you know, it's a great question. That's something really interesting. And, I, you know, we're certainly watching that carefully, but demand for um, demand for hemp for oil seeds and corn are, are just so vast. And, um, you know, the inventories are so low and pressured that it's going to take years right now just to catch up. So I don't see hemp making a dent in that for a while, but it's uh, it's a really compelling question. All right, but I'm sure you all will obviously continue to monitor that and keep, keep us posted on that as, as that does develop, and I think it will develop. Uh, maybe not soon, but it, I think over a longer horizon. Uh, appreciate you being with us today. 
uh, I'd encourage everyone to check out the Jacobson report uh, and and follow what they're doing uh, with with the hemp markets that are that are out there. And uh, be sure to tune in every Wednesday at this time for our weekly Wednesday webinar. Chase, appreciate your time today. You bet, Roger. Thanks to you and Nick and for everyone that joined in here. Y'all have a good day. All right. Thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.